start with what's your experience with food assistance? What do you get? What does that look like when it comes to you? Well, food assistance here is uh, state-wise. Uh, you get like a debit card, except it's not really a debit card, but it has a magnet strip called EBT. Right. And then since you and on this you get your your food assistance money. In our case, it's uh, SNAP. Right. That is suppl uh, supplemental nutritional assistance program. And oh boy, is that ever correctly named? Because it ain't enough to feed you. It's just supplemental. It's really just supplemental to whatever income you have. And, yeah, we are getting close to the maximum, which is around, like, 100 bucks a month, provided that, you know, the, uh, the state bureaucracy machinery in Virginia here doesn't mess it up, which it did for this month. Great. Yes. Um, so it's, like, 100 bucks. You can only buy basically raw stuff. You can go into the grocery store and get frozen pizza and water and flour, all that stuff. But what you can't get is anything hot. So the deli counter, most of that is off limits. Nothing that is that would be a prepared meal. You can get frozen pizzas, you can get that lovely, lovely Campbell soup and SpaghettiOs. You know, and soda, and all all of that kind of stuff. And the only upside is um, it's sale tax free. You know, but um, it's not like you can get lobster every month. You know, that stereotype. Right. That's right. that's uh, around about us folk who are on you know food assistance. Redline, we're doing something a little different with this episode. So, as with so many of the subjects we want to cover on this show, the topic of food assistance has enough subparts and intersections and twists and turns that we could talk about it for hours, which is kind of what we ended up doing. So, we've split this conversation into two different episodes. In this portion, we'll introduce the topic of food assistance, we'll give you some raw numbers talk about our own experiences with those programs and start to dig into the misconceptions and prejudices around this critical social safety net. I don't want to give too much away. So without further ado, part one. Thank you for joining us again on The Breadline. I'm Matthew Hodges. I'm Mark Wayne. And I'm Anna Marco. And we're so glad that you rejoined us tonight on a, a topic that is going to be I think really complicated and and just like our last episode i think we're gonna end up having to do multiple episodes on it but fundamentally what we're talking about tonight is food assistance government provided food assistance and the people who use it yeah it's it's a lot more people than you would normally think than you're led to believe it's not a it's not a small section of the population in certain areas it's lots of people everywhere 
for many reasons. Absolutely. I'd like to dig in a little bit on, you know, who actually uses food assistance and what some of the movement on, uh, like, legislation looks like uh, that we've been seeing in the news. But first, first, why don't we do a, a little introduction? Mark, Anna, it's so nice to have the entire team back Everybody. together. Yeah. What? Yeah, what uh, what good food things have been going on in your lives? Mark, what's up? Well, I'm definitely not exhausted at all, so don't worry about that. <laughs> um, Mark, Mark's being ironic. He is a farmer, <laughs> remember? Uh, he well, is always exhausted. <laughs> Until November, yeah. Uh, uh, last week I missed the episode because we were putting on our second in a series of uh, congregate meals that we... Um, put on as a partnership with Missoula Aging Services, where uh, we design a menu with the youth employees that we have. We make all the food primarily from ingredients that we grow ourselves, and then we serve it, sit down, and have a community meal with them. Uh, Hell yeah! It was. Be- what do you guys do? What do you guys do with the meals? Do you? Uh, I mean, is it just sitting around and having discussions, or yeah, uh, are, are you having people? like recite things from their childhood or uh, a little bit of both actually. So one of the, okay. one of the rules, which uh, I rarely even have to say because the kids tend to take to it in a really lovely way is that uh, all of our youth employees have to sit amongst the seniors that come to the meal and just have a meal together. Um, and they do. And I have to tell you that the interactions that happen between these seniors and between these youth, youth which typically don't have access to their families anymore and don't have access to their grandparents, and these seniors who are a marginalized community who often don't have access to their they don't don't interact with uh, this age population very often. The interactions are just beautiful. They all talk about their life stories and just about working on the farm, and uh, it's a really really beautiful thing it's it's one of those days where all of the exhaustion really pays off you walk away feeling it's feel good work for sure and then myself and usually one or two of the kids will stand up and i'll explain what the program is about and then uh the kids just kind of relay some of their uh, experience on the farm during the season um the highlight of the last time is uh a young woman that we work with who like all the kids that I work with have a rough background. She talked all about how she learned empathy from working on the farm uh, and caring for plants and, and uh, being a part a bigger part of the community, seeing where the food goes and where we donate food and all that. Um, it was really beautiful. That's awesome. That's amazing. So yeah. So what you're saying is that you're going to take points on putting together an upcoming episode about uh, elders and food <laughs> issues and, I would love to, you know, uh, <laughs> yesterday we started our first, uh, mobile market, which is going to go through the second week of October. And that's where we go around to, um, I hate to use the term, but to marginalized communities that tend to not have, wait, wait, hold on. Wait, why do you hate to use that term? Because that's I hate exactly what this show is about. Well, I don't like to disempower people. Uh, you know, referring to people, you don't want to go to somebody and say, Hey, you're marginalized. And, you know, you think the marginalized don't think that they're marginalized. Absolutely. And so, you know, it's, it's not an empowering term. Um, 
but we go around to people that generally don't have access to good healthy produce and we sell it at a highly subsidized rate. Everything is 25 to 50 cents, nothing more than that. Uh, we go to two senior living facilities and the Missoula Urban Indian Health Center, which is a fantastic organization that does a lot of health outreach with the local native population. Um, and we just set up a little pop-up stand. We bring a bunch of produce, whatever we have going on at the time. And I train the kids thoroughly ahead of time so that they basically run the market. And all I'm doing is carrying vegetables from the truck to the table. Um, and they tell everybody that we're uh, serving in those instances what the vegetables are, how they grew them, how to prepare them, how we've been cooking them at our group lunches every day. Um, and it's just another one of those like feel good things that, that I get to do that I'm very privileged to get to do. Um, well, yeah. Hell yeah. And, yeah and I think, uh, I think as, as we talk about uh, food assistance, we, we should circle back around to the like community subsidi- subsidization of food for uh, marginalized communities. Um, thank you, Mark. No, yeah, that's, that's great. Anna, Anna, what have, what have you done this past uh, week in, in good food? Yeah, beat Mark. <laughs> yeah. Beat him. Uh, it's restaurant week. Um, that's, uh, that's not all I've got going on. Um, they actually kind of hobbled us this year, whoever, like, the board for the event. So, okay, so restaurant week is in usually in major cities it's twice a year and it's it's three to four weeks actually and you go and get a, a more affordable meal like two or three course meal at restaurants for a certain set price uh so it used to be three courses at lunch and they made it two courses so now you have the option of desserts so now we're instead of plating 20 desserts every lunch we're plating maybe four um so that's uh, nowhere near as good or interesting as what Mark's been up to. I've mostly just been trying to, <laughs> no. trying to use up berries and <laughs> and. Uh, well, that's that's fine because uh, my my contribution to this was I've gotten really good at grilling peaches. Yeah, they look awesome. That's, they look that's awesome. My, that's my. Oh yeah, no, I, I, my my Instagram is blowing up among people who are already. <laughs> but that's my. That's my good food thing. Good I saw the pictures and they did look delicious. They do, yeah. Grilled, grilled stone fruit rolls. Grilled fruit rolls. Absolutely. I, I grill a lot of fruit. Absolutely. Oh, so good. So good. Well, let's uh, let's move on. Let's let's talk about what we actually got together today to discuss, which is SNAP. Oh, SNAP. The Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. Nailed it. Uh, what used to be called Food Stamps. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, basically the, the program where the government provides a subsidy to individuals or families in order for them to be able to continue to buy groceries. Right. Uh, Anna, you did a ton of work researching some, some aspects of this. And I think, uh, I think the best thing for us to do is just to have a bit of a freewheeling discussion before I introduce our our interview guest later on in the show, yeah. but yeah, can, can we, can we talk first about 
what SNAP is, who benefits from it, what's the purpose, how does this fit into our own leftist organizing? Absolutely. So, um, yeah, SNAP is the Supplemental Nutrition Program. Um, it's You can get it for a family, for an individual. You have to meet certain um, financial metrics. Yeah, I remember applying for it when I was a super broke grad student, yeah. and they said, you have to, you, you know, you individually, you have to work 20 hours per week. Yeah. Now, I was there working is, at the time, but I wasn't working. Some, uh, there there I was is some, a grad some student. contention over work requirements, and there's a lot of bureaucracy that gets in the way. There was one point where I was unemployed, and I was making unemployment. But between that and the hours my husband could get at the time, we only made enough to, on paper, cover rent. And I went to the office with that information, and they denied us. So I was really lucky to have been working off the books uh, bartending at the time, or else we wouldn't have been able to do anything. But it's a really tricky program. Um, EBT card is another term that I know people have heard uh, in relation to this, and the EBT is the actual, um, like a credit or debit card that you get. So it's no longer paid with tickets or stamps. It's a card. It's more discreet, and you get the money preloaded on there every month or however when they decide to give your benefits out. Um, so that's the way the actual payment is done. There's also the WIC program, which is the Women, Infants, and Children program that you can get in conjunction right. with SNAP or any other um, aid program, so welfare, um, you know, Medicare, housing assistance. It's a totally separate program. Yeah, Medicaid yeah. is one of those. Uh, I, I don't think she'll be mad at me if I say that my sister uh, was on Medicaid and was receiving WIC yeah. benefits yeah. Uh, when my nephew yeah. was born. So it's, it is women, infant, and children, and it's specifically a federal um, supplemental nutrition program for pregnant women, um, people with newborns, breastfeeding women, and uh, small children. So you get that because you're obviously going to require um, more special things for a baby or, you know, you're going to need more nutritional food and to eat more regularly while you're pregnant. Right. So yeah. it's it's to help those people specifically, which is a great program, but a lot of people don't are really familiar with it since it's so specific. Well, I think it's a I think it's a good place to drop in some actual statistics, some some just hard numbers because I think when people hear welfare, when people hear food stamps, they have a an, they have an image in their mind of who is receiving these benefits, but we have numbers that might uh might kind of blow your mind. Uh the the vast majority of people who receive SNAP benefits are white. Uh, 40% of the households who receive the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program are white, followed by uh, black families at about 25%, and then Hispanic people at 10%, and then a- anybody else uh, kind of make up the difference there. Uh, we're at what, like seventy five percent at that point. The uh, I I think that we ought to talk about the rhetoric around food assistance and how this fits into 
Trumpism and like an anti-immigrant, anti-brown person uh, perspective because the the numbers don't really bear that yeah, out. Yeah, there's a huge, no, they yeah, don't. There's a huge uh, anti-immigrant stance that says people come into the country and they don't contribute and we pay for them. And that's clearly not really the case. Uh, I was on Snap my first season working at the youth farm. Uh, my first off-season, I should say. So I worked, you know, regularly 45 to 60 hours a week. And at the beginning of the season, I blew out my ACL uh, and worked all season with a knee brace on. Uh, Luckily, the nonprofit that I work for has good health insurance, but I had to get uh, pretty significant knee surgery uh, once the season closed down. And uh, I was also very privileged to have an off season. You know, I wasn't going to lose my job for having to be on crutches for six weeks and then do pretty intensive physical therapy. During that time, I tutored and mentored a young man who had just gotten out of the group home system. Um, so I got paid under the table for that, which I also was very lucky for, but, uh, I was unable to hunt that year. I usually provide a lot of my food over the winter by hunting and um snap was the only thing that kept me fed regularly i was on unemployment and even though i was on crutches i was still working regularly you know uh under the table and yeah i I think there's such a negative connotation that the only people that are on snap are brown and lazy and frankly that's just bullshit yeah, shit, it shit happens to everybody, and there are so many jobs in this country that are highly seasonal, and one thing happens, and you need help, and that's what it's for. It's not for this, this myth of people who are on every kind of public assistance and don't work is a rare, rare thing. Here's, here's another thing. When you look at getting something to drink, you know, not everybody can drink tap water. You know, if you're on a well, it may be nasty. You know, your filters may not be working. You know, all that kind of stuff. Or you live in a place in the country where it's literally not safe to drink the drinking water. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you can boil it and and stuff, but that's also work. And you don't always have the time to do stuff like that because, you know, a lot of us people work. You know, or... Mental health keeps us from doing regular stuff. Or physical disability in some cases. Exactly, physical disability. And, you know, and water is heavy, you know. I mean, we use it literally to define what a kilogram is. Or used to, anyway. (laughs) So, um, soda is cheaper than water. If you go into any grocery store and look at what kinds of sales are going on, you'll find sodas almost always on sale. And even base price can be cheaper than water. Now, which is hilarious because soda is like 90% water anyway. But all those agricultural subsidies... You know, for example, for corn growing, well, we drink and eat them as the poor. In in every meal, you'll find sugar. 
every, especially if it's something that is that, that is shelf stable, there's sugar in there. One of the things that has really stuck out to me with the subject of people who are on food assistance is the way that the left tends to treat it, it's not the left uh uniformly or or only it's everybody tends to treat people who are on food assistance as statistics or anecdotes rather than treating them like real people we don't think about people who are on food assistance as being people who are just trying to eat or people who are just trying to provide for their families and that perspective is i think it's really dangerous when we talk about amending any of these uh any of these programs it, we talk about limiting the kind of benefits that people get because you're not at that point you're not talking about real people you're not talking about folks who are maybe working 60 hours a week uh 80 hours maybe 100 hours between mom and dad coming home and just trying to put food on the table and you know you have you have people who will say like well they're using their food stamps to buy uh like pizza rolls and pop tarts and whatever it's like well okay yeah, yeah there's but a lot of judgment there there's a lot of judgment and it's judgment that comes from uh this anecdotal i mean what's the 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 Rush Limbaugh thing is him saying like you know these people on food stamps are in front of me buying crab legs or like lobster yeah, or whatever. It's, it's like, interesting that there's a there's a there's like a high and a low end to the the stigma and the judgment behind food stamps because you can go and buy steak or lobster or you can go and buy a case of pepsi and some pizza rolls and you're going to get judged for either choice you're going to judge either for for eating high on the hog or for feeding your family trash and that's really nobody's business what What you're doing you're you're buying to eat and you know that's you're you're making that choice and like so many things it as an argument between the left and the right, it becomes ammo for like whatever side you're from, you're going to quote whatever side serves your argument. And like Matthew just said, it's overlooking the fact that these are real people with real lives that have a need for like assistance when it comes to food, one of our basic needs. And there are stories there, real people's stories. And it's not just, you know, it becomes so it just becomes fodder for an argument and it doesn't it doesn't tell the whole story right and i think one of the things we need to do is actually look at the the numbers of it right so i did pull uh the, this is this is from the department of agriculture here's what americans buy with their snap benefits uh in in order and this is it's uh we can link this on the breadline uh twitter this graph but uh it's it's pretty much what you would expect right so uh people who use snap benefits buy soft drinks milk beef grinds bag snacks cheese baked breads cold cereal fresh chicken 
frozen handhelds and snacks. I'm not sure what that means exactly. Uh, burritos and hot pockets. Yeah, and stuff. It's, it's probably that. Uh, packaged candy, infant formula, frozen pizza, refrigerated juice, ice cream, coffee, cookies, uh, water, shelf stable juice, and eggs potatoes uh for some reason muffins is in that category uh which sounds like they're buying a bunch of junk food but on the other hand when you look at people who aren't on snap benefits here's what they're buying milk soft drinks cheese baked breads bag snacks beef grinds cold cereal candy package uh coffee and creamers ice cream chicken it's exactly the same thing they're they're buying you know, yeah. when people talk it's about standard American household, either way. Say, like we're talking about like when we're talking about who's buying what, that speaks to a larger issue about nutritional education that plagues the American populace in general. It's you not bet. just people that are on SNAP. To to act like just people that are on SNAP or receiving food assistance in some way or another, whether it's WIC or whatever, like to act that they're the only people that have poor diets is just ridiculous. Yeah, that's not, they're not the source of the issue with nutrition and unhealthy food in the country. It's not about, once again, it's not about individual choice. It's about capitalism. Uh, just like all the issues with plastic straws. That's not, that's not the problem. <laughs> yeah, do we want to flesh that out a little bit for the, for the listener? What's going on with plastic straws, just briefly? They're trying to ban them, um, and a lot of companies are going along with it and saying, oh, it's bad for the environment. You see all these pictures of sad sea turtles with, like, straws through their head or whatever. Sure. And <laughs> that's obviously personal responsibility. Like, your, your canvas bag at the farmer's market isn't going to do a single thing against a pipeline being built through a reservation. You know, that's, these are, these are not on the same scale at all in terms of environmentalism. And then with straws, people are mad because if you're disabled, you need straws to be able to drink when you're out in public. Though it has been, it has been kind of amazing to watch the, uh, the MAGA chuds go like, I, I'm going to take a picture of me holding my, Oh, yeah, all the, the gun girls have turned and, into straw girls. Yeah, yeah, the, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm going to be drinking, like, a, a Starbucks drink uh, complete with, like, 19 straws, and it's like, you know... Like, I'm going to go to Starbucks, which I'm boycotting, tell them my name is Trump, because right, right, yeah. they're liberals, and get, like, 10 extra straws to own libs. I'm, I'm as opposed to the individualization of environmental responsibility as anybody, but... If corporations decide to move away from, I we there's such a thing as like compostable straws, right? That's uh, yeah, that seems, yeah. seems like a good thing to move They're not toward. great. They're the, they're super super brittle in my experience, but the technology is getting there. But it's also, you know, if you're if you've got straws for a few disabled people, it's not going to make a huge dent. I went down to. Uh, Costa Rica in my last off season and went to a lovely little restaurant that had awesome like I don't know if they were cardboard or bam cardboard or bamboo or whatever but they were perfectly suitable straws. Yeah. Bamboo you know? bamboo makes a good straw. Bamboo yeah, sure. they were great, great. material. You make know? them at, make them out of pasta and then the chef can grab them and cook them into your meal. 100%. <laughs> <laughs>
And that concludes part one of our food assistance discussion. On the next segment, coming soon, I have a chance to speak with Leah Douglas, journalist and food activist, about changes to the SNAP and EBT systems that are creating challenges for farmers markets. And we continue our discussion of the institutional prejudice against those who rely on public support to feed their families. Special thanks for this show go to my very good friend, Theo Kretschmar-Scholdorf, who put himself out there to share his family's experiences with food assistance. You'll hear more of him in part two as well. The Breadline is produced by me, Matthew Hodges. Our theme music was composed by Jane Stewart, whose work you can find on her Twitter, at InscrutableJane. If you're new to the show and like what we're doing, rate and review us on iTunes to help us get the word out, and follow us on Twitter at TheBreadlinePod. Also, please consider becoming a patron of the show at patreon.com slash TheBreadline. Thanks for joining us on The Breadline today, and we'll see you again soon for part two. Stay hungry. Stay hungry.